Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at wolfspiritradio.com. Emotionally undercover for a lover overdressed. The cycle is created long before you start to think that the blink is your decision what you do. No clue for the food fighter. Hi, it's Nancy. I'm sorry. It's uh, September 1st, 2015. You're listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. I'm here with Walt Silva, and Colleen Kelly is producing. Uh, how you doing, Walt? Hello there, Chief. How are you? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Colleen, how are you feeling? I'm feeling just great. Um, as I said, I was tired last night, so I went in and took a bath. Filled a tub full of hot water, climbed in there, and fell asleep. Woke up three hours later, <laughs> went to bed. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> so that sounds so good. Uh, yeah, except for the cold water, it would have been pretty well, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you'd had shungite in there. Uh, well, I was wearing my necklace. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, I always, I, I never take that off, not even for bathing. Yeah, good God. That's amazing. Three hours? Three hours, yeah. Did you come out looking like a prune? Um, really not at what you would think. Because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be all, and you, you know, huge fingerprints everywhere. Uh-huh, maybe it wasn't water, it was like vodka and she got pickled. <laughs> I got pickled. <laughs> so she got preserved perfectly. Well, apparently without any dehydration whatsoever, so... <laughs> Actually, we found that shungite in swimming pools, people don't get the wrinkles in their hands. Yeah, so, I, I figured I'd be really bad, but no, no not at all. It might have been the shungite. Because you also have it on your water system, correct? Yeah, it's on the um, the water heater. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, yeah. So it was probably just no wonder you're feeling so good today. <laughs> Three hours and about the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I've never done that before, so. Now that you're tenderized, we can bake you. <laughs> well, with the song you sent, we'll see. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't wait for this song. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, I told, I told, uh, I told Colleen, you, there's a guy talking at different spots throughout the song, and pay attention to what he says, because I... It's very interesting, especially if we're going to talk about consciousness. I thought it was very apropos. Yeah, consciousness. Uh, when I first started out Cosmic Reality Radio Show, um, I was by myself, and I didn't exactly know what we were going to do. And then Colleen was just <laughs> learning how to produce, and so we had some minor setbacks, and finally I just decided, let's just give us another week to be able to try to get everything together. And I put together a recorded, <coughs> excuse me, recorded two-hour show. And it was on consciousness. Now, I pulled out the notes from that show, and I started looking at them because I had um, come across this concept of could we be a computer simulation? Could all of reality be a computer simulation? And I remember back, oh gosh, it has to have been three, maybe 
three years ago. Some, uh, maybe two, there was, uh, some scientist, mathematician, I'm not even sure who he was, I was trying to find the, uh, the statement, but I didn't. He came out and he said that, um, in his estimation, based on his mathematics, there was like a 20% chance that all of life was a simulation, was a computer simulation and nothing more. And I, didn't get, I don't know whether it wasn't there at the time or I didn't read it, but I didn't get details of what is math or what he was thinking behind it. So when I saw this other thing come up about, uh, is the universe a computer simulation, I said, oh, maybe I'll find it there. And they didn't talk about him, uh, or his figures, or maybe they didn't, I just didn't know the name. But they, what, what, what finally made me decide to do the show on it was my friend Cindy says to me, did you see that thing on the computer simulations? And I said, yes. And she said, did you read it? And I said, I glanced at it. I got to read it later. And she said, well, she said, it's very disconcerting. She said, it makes more sense than almost anything I've ever heard. <laughs> it's a whole crap. <laughs> or a computer simulation. Um, would you? Did you look at that? Stuff, Walt. What did you think? Yeah. Well, it's 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 uh, it's a good theory because, but they take it, they stretch it even more than that because they say, okay, where if what if we are a computer simulation, and the people that are running the simulation themselves are inside of a computer simulation, and so on and so forth. So they're 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 creating a picture of an of an infinite fractal. Reality for fractal universe where everyone is a computer simulation of somebody else. Which, there's nothing wrong with that because if you, uh, the, this is the part that, you know, the linear mind, I think, is trying to make heads or tails of it and that's where the issue comes in. Because when you think about it, uh, I'm not saying that it is or that it isn't, but you know that, you know, that the universe is broken up into, into dimensions. And you have the different dimensions that we have access to, and then you have all the other dimensions above that we can't see or have access to with waking consciousness. So for the people in the fifth and the sixth dimension, like, for example, look at the case in point, this blue avian situation. And Corey Good describes that these beings exist between the sixth and the ninth dimension. So for them, 3D reality is nothing more than a hologram. It's just a program that's playing itself out. So, what's wrong with that? When you read the material from uh, Andrew Malo-Melchizedek in that book, Living in the Heart, and he tells you right off, right off the bat, he tells you there's no, there's nothing out there. There's no, there's no universe. There's not the things that you call reality. It's all being projected from inside of you. And that's why I sent you that document written by Inelia Benz on the how to find, you know, your life companion or how to find somebody in your life because the, the root of that document, she's talking about manifestation and you see what she says that you don't manifest with the mind. What's around you, it's a reflection of yourself and the mind gets involved in figuring out the things that you want and that you don't want, but it's not the mind doing things. So, all of these bits and pieces come together very nicely. So we are easily a subset of these blue avians who exist in such a high dimension that to them we're just a computer game that's just 
running its course, and we've done the domination and control for so long on this planet, the planet is fed up, and says, okay, I'm done with this, I want to move on. Um, so the game goes on. What, what, what would be lost? I mean, if, if anything, if we accept that it's a, it's a program, it, to me at least, to my way of seeing things, it gives me the incentive to say, oh, okay, if it's a program, I can hack it. So uh, things are going to be the way I want it. <laughs> Nobody's going to tell me what my reality is going to be. I'm going to plug my awareness into the program, and I'm just going to tweak it the way I want, right? It's a program after all. So I, I don't see the negative in it. It just it's so intriguing, and it it opens like for example, in that uh, the document that we shared that you put on your website on uh, what learn what controls your manifestations by Nelia Benz, and she explains that your number one tool for manifesting the things that you want, provided you don't have an unconscious agreement against it, is daydreaming. So what's daydreaming? Daydreaming is how you hack the, uh, if you want to call this a computer simulation, you know, let's go with those terms. When you're daydreaming, that's it. You're plugging into the operating system and you're telling it, okay, I want this and this and this. Like, like a computer menu. <laughs> you're going to the menu and you choose the items you want. And then the computer has no recourse, but it has to produce what you just did. In one of those, remember you sent me an email? with um, a paper, uh, a PDF file, where they're talking about manifestation. And at one point in it, they're saying that, in, in theory, you should be able to manifest something instantly. But for some reason, it takes time. There's something that we still don't know. Well, that little bit that they don't know is the fact that part of the agreement for this computer simulation is that you need a story. A story to justify why why the the table is now red where before it was blue, or why this house is now blue before it was off-white. You need to create a story because that's the way the linear brain wants to see things. It wants to justify, okay, this car is here because somebody drove it here as opposed to just manifesting it here. And that's built into the program. Obviously, um, uh, the ascended masters or self-realized people, the less... This dispense with the word master because master gives the impression that someone is above you when nobody is above you. But they obviously, at some point, they're able to dispense with this rule of the story because otherwise they wouldn't be able to manifest and demanifest things at will. Like uh, I have had the chance to speak with surviving disciples of Yogananda who were practically teenagers when he was alive. And they're all full of stories where the things that weren't there would suddenly appear and then five minutes later it wasn't there anymore. So he had actually manifested it for a purpose and then he got rid of it. So once the consciousness is expanded enough, you can dispense with that little rule that says, oh yes, you need a story to justify why, like Enelia says, you know, you want to get rid of this table so you put it up for sale and somebody buys it and takes it away and voila, you just... They manifested a table. <laughs> so if it's a program, better. Programs can get hacked, right? <laughs> what did he have? And can you give us a little background in him to, to, so that we can try to understand how he came to be able to hack it, how became, he became a master hacker? What, Yogananda? Yeah. Well, in the 
first off, the the thing that they teach you, uh, uh, that ex- they explain about him, is the type of incarnation he was. He wasn't just any run-of-the-mill incarnation. They used the term avatar. In the old, in the old Hindu um, terminologies, or the old Sanskrit terminologies, there are different kinds of incarnations, like people that are just incarnating out of the, the compulsion of the law of karma. You know, they're just regular incarnating souls. But then as the heart begins to awaken and the consciousness begins to awaken, then there are people that come back and have a different condition to their incarnation. So, for example, a siddha or a siddhi, or siddhi is the power, siddha is the individual. A siddha is an individual, a soul, that has become perfected in this life. In this life, you have realized your true identity. You have realized that you are an uninterrupted, uninterrupted oneness with source. Therefore, there's no karma binding you anymore. So when you leave, nothing will force you to come back. So you have realized yourself. You have perfected yourself during your incarnation. Now, once... A siddha, according to their description, once the siddha leaves and goes back into the infinite, when they choose to come back of their own free will because they want to help others, that receives the name of avatar, meaning that it's a conscious incarnation. No force, no agency forced you to come back to earth. You did it because it, it was your desire to come back and help and continue guiding those to awaken. So that's one of the first things with him. I mean, he was conscious and awake inside his mother's belly. In fact, when he was a little kid, he would confuse the parents because he could tell all these things that he felt and saw and words that he had heard and voices he he had registered while he was in his mother's womb. He was awake in his mother's womb. He had a perfect recollection of what it was to be inside his mother all those months. So right off the bat, the child shows attributes that are unseen in others. Uh, for example, uh, early on, I think it was his father or a, or a relative had to teach him to be careful with his voice, how he used his voice, because if he got uh, angry or emotional about something, uh, he would uh, burst out saying something, it would actually come to pass. Like, for example, uh, he was—he must have been, I don't know, eight or nine years old, and they were six or seven children, boys and girls, and he saw an older sister putting some ointment on her forearm, and he, like a like a any little kid would, you know, just goes over and with curiosity asks the sister, why are you putting that ointment on your arm? And she says, because... I have a boil that's forming, so this is ointment to treat the boil. So he goes ahead and takes a little bit of dab of ointment and starts putting it on his forearm. And the sister says, what are you doing? You don't have anything on the on the forearm. And he goes, yes, tomorrow I'm going to have a boil on this arm, and your, your boil is going to be two times as big because you're calling me a liar. Lo and behold, the very next day, uh, it happened. The sister's boil was twice the size and he had a boil forming <laughs> in his arm. So his father, and now I remember, because his father was a disciple of three of, uh, of Layui Masaya, which was teacher to Yogananda's teacher, 
um, his father was aware of spiritual principles and told him never do that again. Never use say things out rashly or in the heat of the moment or in the heat of emotional outburst, because what you can say, what you say, is very dangerous. So right then and there, you could see that you know the child was able to manifest things just by declaring them. So the, these are all of these things are called. They're documented. They're called uh, the siddhis, which are the the powers of of self-realized person, which are. According to Nelia Ben, it's, it's part of the human package. I guess it also explains why everybody wants our DNA. You do have, a, a, I think it's 35 different powers, and they let you do, you know, nothing short of miraculous things. But they're not miraculous, it's just your consciousness altering the reality. And that's why I think, you know, having reached such level of realization, they can dispense with some of the basic rules, like, yes, you need a story to manifest something, which I find highly annoying. <laughs> I don't want a story. I just want it done. <laughs> I totally agree with you. The um, <laughs> Well, part of what the the stuff we've been reading, you know, they it, the quantum physicists are, are so convinced that, you have to have human observation in order for something to happen. That means a human being has to create a story and watch it unfold. Every time you interact with your environment, you're creating a story. So um, that makes, I mean, it's it all seems to work that way, that you need the story. So what we're trying to do is to create a different story. But um, I look at it and I see the you know the well every every single frequency every every aspect of energy is there in the quantum field, and one of the things that they were discussing was the fact that actually I'm not sure if I was discussing it or they were discussing it because I wasn't I was just doing notes on that thing and I I'm going like who wrote this. Because it was, but I think it's this guy, oh gosh, what's his name? He's, he's really, I should pay more attention to him because he is just absolutely amazing. On the, I didn't put up the show notes yet because I was really confused as what we were doing. So, but I'll put the, the link to this, uh, these articles. And, um, so you've got all the frequencies that ever could possibly be. And you have the concept of place and space. And every place and every space has a different frequency. So every single point is sort of like um, if you thought of a pixel on a screen, on a monitor. It's one little teeny thing of light. But put all together, you get this amazing computer screen that does all sorts of different things based on these little things of light. Those are place and space specific. So if you don't have them, that's when you get the weirdness in your screens. So it's like every single thing that is 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 important because you're this pixel of light. And I suppose if you were thinking of it in computer terms, it would be your one of the binary sequence. Yes? Well, no, the binary sequence would be the thing controlling that little bit of light because the pixel is a, manif- a manifestation of something behind it. And what you're, which also, uh, something else that supports 
the simulation thing is uh, something that I described in a, in a previous show. Uh, you found it very complicated. Uh, the um, the element that's described in Elizabeth Hayes, she Elizabeth Hayes has a book, uh, wrote a book called Initiation. In it, she describes her life over 3,000 years ago, and she was in Egypt, and she was educated by Amenhotep, that uh, that character that uh, is a part of um, Egyptian history, a very ascended master. You know, he was everything. He was an engineer, and he was an alchemist, and I mean, you you name it, he could do it. And he taught her that everything that's manifested, everything that exists down to the atom, is only half. The other half exists on the other side, on the, I guess what we would call the quantum field, or the unmanifest, that which is not. So, uh, everything that you're seeing is actually flashing. What happens is that it's flashing at such a tremendously high frequency, you don't see the flashing. But everything that exists, every down to the last atom, is actually half. The other half is it's on the other side. So it's like matter and antimatter, like matter having a counterpart. And in a, in one of uh Tiberian's channelings, the gentleman who who has the Earth Keepers website and he channels uh the Archangel Metatron in I was I was reading one of his channelings from some years back and lo and behold he's saying exactly the same thing. Only he goes so far as to actually quote a number so he quotes this number that has like, the frequency is like something like 38 zeros long or some huge number that you wouldn't be able to <laughs> use in any calculator. Uh, and, he, and he describes that uh, the frequency at which that reality is flashing. It's flashing on and off. And that's why, uh, and that is also covered and explained in the Castaneda books when uh, Don Juan would explain the the thing of shutting down the world, and Don Juan also mentions this thing and how to get in between those flashes, how to get, it's like slipping in between the frames of a movie. So the whole thing, you know, could very well be a simulation. I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with it either way, so <laughs> as long as it wasn't written by Microsoft, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my um, well it it certainly does um, fit perfectly with the creationalism you know yeah there is a, a, a somebody out there that's doing everything it's called a computer programmer <laughs> you know I don't know how the how, how they would take to that but I mean I also find it interesting you use the word avatar because avatar is used in computer terminology to represent a character, correct? Correct. Which is, an it's a, it, it fits nicely with avatar because it is both things. One is a representation of a character, uh, of, a, of an actual operator sitting at a computer, and it's also a conscious representation because it, the, the avatar character or the sprite, or whatever you want to call the the graphic that represents an avatar, didn't come on just by accident. Somebody willed it to be made, unconsciously said, okay, I'm going to take this avatar 
Um, I don't know if you ever, in your travels around the internet, if you ever came around, uh, there's a site, I think it's still up, it's called uh, Cybertown. Um, it used to be, it used to be free, now I don't know if it's, it's subscription based, but what it is, um, imagine 3D Facebook. <laughs> all the dialogues and all the th stuff that's happening on the screen is actually happening in 3D. So you get one of the features of it is you get to choose your, um, your avatar. You know, what character, what, what are you going to look to these people? What are you going to look like? And, uh, no, 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 let me understand this. It's a computer. On the Internet, there's a website that will take, like, Facebook and make it into a 3D image? Uh, it doesn't, it's not, um, how can I explain this? You have these environments that are 3D. It uses a, a plug-in program to your browser called Black Sun. It's, it's been years since I went in there. And what it does is when you log in, it gives you a 3D environment, so you could be in the middle of a of a city plaza, or you could be in the middle of an auditorium, and your character is a 3D character standing there in that environment. And when you chat with someone, you type, and whatever you're saying will appear at the bottom of their screen. And then they also had an audio plug-in that you could talk, and it would your the, the person at the other end if they had the same audio plug-in, they could hear your voice coming out of their speakers. And you could have, uh, I don't know how is it that you gather, I forget how it was that you gather credits, and if you gather credits, you could buy yourself, you could have your own reality, like your own little island, and you could put a house on it, and you could put furniture inside the house, and you could invite your friends over. So you're just chatting, you know, with all these people, and you're sitting inside some trendy room somewhere. So. And, and you say this is an old program. No, this is old. This goes back... I remember Cybertown started when I was still in in New York in 2003, and uh, it was funny because when I attempted doing it in, with dial-up, <laughs> everything was moving like one frame every five seconds, and then at home with DSL, it would just fly, and you would see the characters. Some people were really outrageous. Their avatar was like the Starship Enterprise. They had like the most <laughs> outrageous avatars, but... I got tired of it after a while, and I didn't go back anymore. I think there's others, uh, like um, Second Life is another one. Second Life is more adult-oriented, because like, if you want to cheat on your husband or your wife, you go into Second Life, and your 3D character, you know, you could actually have a, an affair with another 3D character, and if you pay extra, you, you get the sex plug-in, so the two characters can have sex in a room somewhere. Uh, that that second life thing brought about so many lawsuits <laughs> when when it first started out. Because oh, that's too funny. <laughs> but uh, I'm thinking about it, and you're saying it was back in okay. So 12 years later, conceivably they could have 3D based computer systems where the avatars actually think they're alive inside that program. Is that correct in your mind? Uh, that's what they say in that article, the, the one that you sent me, where they're theorizing about this thing being a, a simulation, that the simulation could in turn be be run by individuals who themselves are a simulation. Like, 
if you're playing The Sims, few people out there don't know what The Sims are, which is it's a it's a 3D simulation game where you play a character in a city somewhere, depending on which version of The Sims. So imagine that you you're one of the characters in The Sims and you decide to create a simulation inside The Sims. You know that that type of situation. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, and one of the things they pointed out was that um, a simulated world didn't need to be very complex, really, because it sort of reminded me of that, um, uh, what's that guy's name? Um, the one where he's uh, the life of somebody, where he, he's shown on TV all the time. Which one? Uh, it keeps going right through my head, but he's in a simulation. He's he's being photographed, and he's in in this in this world that is contained. It's like a big, you know, uh, car- not carry cheese. But anyway, he finally realizes that the beach. He's at the beach, and the beach isn't right. Something's not right about it. And he finds the door and opens it up to, and finds out that he had been in this entire scenario that was a construct of of human beings. You know. But um, the other thing they said is, is, and this brings us back to the concept of the super soldier, in that we think the past has happened because we have memories and because of records like photos and books. But what if it was all just freshly written code? What if your life was turned on the last time you blinked your eyes? <laughs> I mean, yep. it, it's, it's stimulating thought and... Colleen, help me out here. What do you think? Colleen is back in the tub. Forget her. She's she's not there. <laughs> she's sulking. She's sulking. Oh I my god. She put BRB. I think that means Barbara. Or be right back. Oh, One be right back. <laughs> when I first saw BRB, I thought somebody would just burped. <laughs> no, that would be DRP. Yeah. Okay. So, it, but it gets more complex when um, when you think in terms of reincarnation. Uh, this Dr. Ivan Stevenson, he was a PhD and former professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia School of Medicine, spent 40 years researching reincarnation stories from children. Now. He it was the former chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and Neurology and investigated over 3,000 independent stories of children who claim to have memories and know people from their alleged past lives. Um, what they found out in this study, and see, I have to read my notes. I don't, I don't have this memory that my friend Walt does, but 35% of these children out of the 3,000, 35% had birthmarks on places where they allegedly suffered fatal wounds from their in their past lives. Now, yep. these, these birthmarks were often uncommon, dramatic, and sometimes bizarre lesions, such as malformed digits or missing limbs, misshapen heads, and odd markings. Yeah. Um, the biggest case that I knew of that, Remember in the past I've mentioned uh, Dr. Costa, how he would go around the country doing these workshops called the 15-step process where uh, you're like in a very, very light trance 
and then somebody guides you into the fourth dimension with your pattern body so your guides can do uh, physical repairs and can also answer questions. Remember, I think I've described that before. And one of the cases, uh, one of the more severe cases that I knew of was one of the girls working with a doctor at the institute that she could do the 15th step and she could receive information but everything was through impressions. She could see nothing at all of what, what was going on on the other side. So they did a session with her and she asked why. And she literally described that during the medieval, you know, the Middle Ages, she was in a battle, she was a soldier, and she got hit in the middle of the head with a hatchet. It literally went down the middle of the head. So it ruptured her pineal gland, her third eye. That's why in this life she could not see on the other side. She could receive impressions, you know, everything else was working, but visually she could receive nothing. So they did a special 15-step session where the doctor guided her, and he, because he does have uh, third-eye vision, he could see on the other side how uh, not her guide, her guides did not do it. They actually called for the assistance of another type of guide who specializes in that type of psychic surgery, and he would describe how they literally opened up her head, and they had to rearrange and reassemble the the pineal gland, and he said it's a crystalline structure. So it's not like they're sawing together uh, uh, organic tissue. They're actually repositioning and, and reassembling like a, like a crystalline jigsaw puzzle. So after a short time after that session was done, she started getting her first visuals every time she would do a 15-step session. She could see her guys and she could see uh, whatever was happening, you know, on the other side. So, yeah, that, that happens because especially when something's traumatic, you have an emotional imprint, it stays. So, yeah, that that's... Okay, well, this would seem to go against the concept of a computer simulation. Why Not would if it's one of the rules. <laughs> oh. It's yeah, all well, in the code, baby. It's on the code. <laughs> well, you can, because I, I, I'm firmly convinced that people are um, getting way too connected to the concept of karma and past lives and, uh, you know, that it's at the, it co- somehow contained in the DNA and I don't believe that. I do believe that there is a tremendous amount of information that is accessible from past lives, but to take on this karma thing just doesn't feel right to me. The problem with the with the karma thing is that from its natural, from what it's supposed to be, it got, like many other things on this planet, and you're no stranger to this, it got subverted to be something else. Like, you know, I mean, Andrew Varsis discusses this, we have discussed it many times, that on this planet, reincarnation is not natural. That forced reincarnation of coming back again and again and again. Like there's something, some lesson to learn. Like Anelia says, you know, you're a perfect divine being. Why would you need to learn anything at all? It's it's all part of the system of domination and control to keep people coming back to continue draining their energy. So what they did is they subverted the concept of karma uh, to be that, you know, that to be stuck when, you know, they extended material debt into energetic and spiritual debt. So you have a perfect excuse 
oh yeah, it takes so long. Like for example, uh, and this goes back several thousand years. The ancient writings of the Vedas in in India, which were written by the group of ascended masters that they called rishis, which are you know the great spiritual teachers. In one of the writings, it claims that you have to have one million incarnations. And in each incarnation, you're supposed to be completely virtuous for you to escape the wheel of karma. Now, I don't know if this is some kind of formula that they were able to find, like a glitch in the program or some way, but it uh, it's a horrible thing to contemplate. Because, I mean, who the heck can sustain one million incarnations and be perfectly virtuous in each incarnation? It's it's It boggles the mind. It's something that you know what, one in a quadrillion soul would be able to achieve this. And who's saying that this is the key to getting out? This is the ancient, uh, the ancient rishis who wrote the, uh, the Vedas, you know, the, the time of the Upanishads, they were all that ancient times several thousand years ago. And that's why, in the writings of Yogananda, that's why he claims that uh, Mahavatar Babaji brought back the knowledge of Kriya Yoga to humanity in order to be able to escape this forced reincarnation. Because essentially, Kriya Yoga, when you practice it correctly, it's making the low self. You know this thing that they say? Sorry to keep jumping to the margins here, but I, I need to put in here some concepts. You know that uh, that thing that several people say that one of the reasons we don't grow is because our lifespans are too short, that by the time you start learning something, you die, and then you have to come back again, and you forgot what it was that you learned. You, you've heard of this thing, that if we lived longer, it would give us a chance to put to use the wisdom that we've gathered. And I'm sure you've heard of this. You know, many people no, are... No, I actually, I actually have not. Oh, okay. So, the... Uh, the one of the, the biggest things about uh, Kriya Yoga, the, the the big issue is that our, in, in our bodies, we don't have the, the one soul. We are literally like the guy riding the elephant. So the guy on top of the elephant, that's the high soul, the one that predominantly sits inside the head. And then the body, the highest the body, the elephant, has his own soul. He has an animal soul, which comes from Gaia. And the highest chakra for that animal soul is the solar plexus. And from the solar plexus on up, those, all those chakras are of the uh, of the high soul. Now, this positioning of the high soul inside the brain, that was one of those changes that they forced on us, because you have memories. Like, remember when you said that... Uh, you guys would come from Mars and you would try to teach the people here, but they always misunderstood things and they took you to be gods. And you remember what you said, that if, some, if one of your crew members died here, you would have to take the heart out and take it back. There was a practical reason for that. Because at that time, the high soul, the one that right now is sitting in the brain, it's supposed to be sitting in the center of the heart. That's why if you look at an x-ray of the, of the physical heart, there's a spherical cavity, and science cannot explain why is there a spherical cavity right smack in the center of the heart between those partitions that the heart has. I mean, they, they can theorize all they want, 
But the reason there's a cavity there, because that's where the high soul used to sit. And that's, and that's why, that's why everything has been done to get you away from your heart as, as much as possible, because when you're there, that's when, when you're awake. So Kriya Yoga, um, the, that, that low soul, to go back to the, the, that low soul is always like a child. He's always like a six or seven year old child. And he understands things like a six or seven year old child would understand things. So that's why you should never exaggerate or lie too much or say things bad about yourself because this child is listening. He never, he, she never sleeps, hears everything you're saying, and it must be right. You know, Nancy said it, so it must be right. We must be horrible. Or I must be sick because Nancy just said I'm, I'm sick of this and, and I have this pain and I have that pain, so it must be because, you know, the, the guy that's up there on the head says that it's so, uh, so they don't understand the concept of lying. They don't understand the concept of joking. Everything you say, the, that low self takes it for what it is. So because the life and the body is so short, you reach the end of life and that low soul is still a little kid. So one of the things, one of the major benefits of the Kriya Yoga, if done correctly, is that it makes the low soul mature. It, it makes it grow up. So at one point, you it, it is it is as mature or as grown up as your high soul. So then it, it sees the game for what it is, and it can break out of the cycle of reincarnation. Because it's, oh, okay, I don't have to fall for this game anymore. And that's why... It was a days. Yogananda says that it was a divine dispensation that the Mahavatara bring back this ancient knowledge that was, you know, purposely buried or purposely lost. It, that now is the time for humanity to learn it so that they can break the wheel of karma. But the thing is that you know, like everything else, when humans get involved of spreading some kind of knowledge, <laughs> things get bent a little bit here and get twisted a little bit there and most of the people what what they're understanding out of Kriya Yoga is that it's we have to go back to God, we have to go back to God, we have to go back to God, we have to leave the body behind, the body is worthless, it's nothing, we have to go back to God, we have to go back and that's not what it's about because you never left God, you know, God is right here, it's about bringing in divinity into the body, That's that's what this time on earth is for bringing in that divinity and sit where it's supposed to sit in the center of the heart. That, that time of escaping, you know, that was, that was fine 2,000 years ago. Yeah, this earth was the most horrible place to be, and yeah, if we can break the wheel of karma 2,000 years ago, I most definitely won't leave, you know. No plumbing, no electricity, no internet. <laughs> and the only justice you ever saw was at the end of a sword, so yeah. Most definitely, I want to I want to leave Earth if it's 2,000 years ago. But right now, this is the time of the great change, when the whole planet is coming out from under this control. So this is the time when you want to bring in your divinity into the body. That All right, so let me just ask you, the, the, the divinity that they're talking about, that, it, that you want to bring into the body, into the heart, yes? Yeah. Where has it been located for all of this time? In, in the brain, uh, and, and that's why if you if you do that, uh, there are different people that teach this thing. I learned it from Jim Self. The when you um, 
I have to interject myself because I have to uh, give a list of all the people that are coinciding in this. You know, Drumbalo speaks of this, that you can project your consciousness anywhere, which is true. And Jim Self talks of this extensively in his uh, uh, Mastering Alchemy workshops. Yes, when you close your eyes and you sit to meditate, you can take your consciousness and put it anywhere in the body. It's not tied anywhere. It's not glued anywhere. You can put your consciousness wherever you are. The problem is that 90% of the time or 99% of the time is always sitting up there in the frontal lobes behind the forehead. And so that's why your attention is always on the outside, on the outside world. You pay little attention to your body unless you're hungry or tired or, you know, something hurts. The rest of the time, you're focused outside of yourself. But when you close your eyes and you go, you know, you go up one inch inside the forehead and then you move back inside the head like an inch and a half, you get close to where the pineal gland is and that's the seat where the high soul sits. And if you come, uh, many people, before they get to that point, they'll come across some kind of light uh, or some structure like an SRF. They describe that the third eye is a silver star in a field of indigo surrounded by a golden ring. Well, that's not the third eye. That's the energy plug that they put in your head when they uh, initiate you. Because what happens is by doing that, you have to go through the organization to get to God. You have to go through the guru to get to God. So you're not 100% responsible for your spiritual growth. You're going through some other agency. So, yes, now, you can... Who, who are you saying is put up this block? When, they, when, they, you, when you get initiated, like when I got initiated into Kriya Yoga... The uh, the monk that's initiating you, I, or I noticed as it was happening, he was creating an energy circuit because with his uh, uh, with his with one of his hands he was grabbing my shoulder, and then with the other hand, with the middle finger, he would put uh, sandalwood paste on your third eye on your forehead, and at the same time he's saying words into your ear. So when he does that, he's putting an energy plug so you have to you have no choice in order to get to your own divinity you have to go through the guru you have to go through the organization so you're bound to the organization luckily I came through an energy healer who knew all about this and I released that energy and I gave it back to the monk who gave it to me so now I can take responsibility for my own growth that's the way it should be there shouldn't be anything standing between you and your divinity Wow, so so this particular group understood about energy contracts in a very profound way. Indeed. And to control you. And, that's, and, and uh, you can find these plugs wherever, whatever sect does any kind of christening. I'll bet you, you know, nine out of ten people, if they do that exercise of moving inside the brain, you'll see something like a light like a glow in there in that particular area, that's that's the imprint that the organization puts on you. So when the Catholic Church baptized me, the priest, by the very words and uh, tones that he used, even if he didn't understand it, created an energy yep. Stamp-like on me, yeah. so that I would always feel the necessity to go uh, through them. I think, and, and look at the structure. 
they bypass you, right? Then you have to do the communion, and then you have to do the confirmation. <laughs> All of these things are are meant to reinforce that plug if it, in case it didn't take the first time. <laughs> wow. I never thought of it in those terms. And you think that this is that this is something that is known by the organizations or something that is just they do it and it just sort of happens or don't you know? Well, which is the what is the number of the cosmic reality rule that says there's no coincidence, no such thing as coincidence? Five. <laughs> wow. Well done. <laughs> wow, that's really nasty. Well, it's business as usual. Okay, well, how's that work in our computer? In the computer simulation? Did well, these... there you have it. You're, you're, be you're beginning to see the cracks in the simulation. It's, uh, that's why, to me, it's more acceptable to say it's an energy universe, and we're all playing. We are the consciousness that are playing with the energy. Does it look like a computer program? Sure, why not? The one of the um, for people up there that like this British group Jethro Tull, in one of their uh, classic albums Aqualung, uh, there's a there's writing inside, and one of the things in the writing says that man created God in his image. <laughs> and when you think about it, you know what do we reward? in the cases of, like, um, the things that entertain us. For example, you start from the tribal uh, oral history. You know, you said we've lost that. You know, the when you're done with the business of surviving, which is gathering food and, and making sure you have water and making sure you have shelter, and all of that is done, and you don't have a TV or a radio, and you would sit around the fire, you participate in the oral history, and you hear countless story after story after story, and it gets carried out through the generations, right? Uh, in this present moment, when you think about, look at, uh, for example, actors, whether they be theater actors or movie actors, we reward them greatly, both in, you know, symbolic awards, money awards, and you look at this and you say, okay, what am I rewarding this person for? Well, I'm rewarding this person because they had great skill and they pretended to be something they're not. So, are you saying that what's not real is more valuable than what is real? That whatever is real is really boring? So, I'm rewarding this person because they created something false that actually held my attention and held my emotions? Yeah, the answer is yes. That's why I'm rewarding this person. So, we keep... We can't hold back this this drive to create. That's where we're, you know, micro-gods, we're co-creating creators with the one source because that's one of the ways that they explain this whole thing is that people have it wrong when they think that God runs everything or God controls everything. You know, God gave everyone infinite creativity and Consciousness, your consciousness is infinite, it's eternal. Creativity is infinite, it's eternal. And you free will to operate as you wish. 
so he says, okay, go out, create. What, what you create with it, uh, I'm not going to get involved because everything is one thing. That's, that's one of the, the thing, that's one of my arguments against that word, that adjective, when people speak of perfection. If, it, if God is everything, everything, and that which is greater than all things, then you, it cannot be just one thing, because perfection speaks of all those things that you consider perfect, right? It's a filter. You use the word perfection to denote these things that, which are desirable against the backdrop of the things that are bad or undesirable or imperfect or distorted or bad or whatever they are, right? But if the source creator is absolutely everything, then he has to encompass those things that we call bad and distorted. So perfection in and of itself is incomplete because it's only part of something, not the totality of something. So that's why the uh, uh, I forget who was it who explained it so well. Uh, it said, you know, the Creator j- gave you free will, infinite consciousness, infinite sentience, imagination, creativity, all of these things. You are made in the image of the Source Creator, so you can go out and create. So some of us went out and created stars, others went and created solar systems. We just forgot that we did it. So the adventure got more and more and for example, when you're reading a book, right, and you're engrossed in the story, and you're visualizing the characters in the story, you can only go so far, because you and the book are two separate things, right? But what would happen if you could take your consciousness, your awareness, and your five senses, and you could stick them inside one of those characters? Now the book would take on an entirely different dimension. The nuances of learning, the the hue and the quality of the wisdom that you gather from the experience of the character is completely different because it's a it's first hand you know it's first position viewer you are breathing what the character is breathing and sensing everything that they're going through this is what we're doing the creator says yes I love the stars they're perfect I love the galaxies they're perfect but the only way to experience them is to get in there and become them. So that's why, you know, every living thing, everything that draws breath, even the rocks and the stones, they have to have a measure of that source in them so that source can experience itself. Otherwise, what's the use? It's a beautiful book, but it will always be a book. It will always be separate from me. And that's why in cosmic reality, I came to the conclusion that for us to take the new level of enlightenment, for our consciousness to to develop, as every indicator says it must, and that Gaia would be developing at the same time as we do, that it's a, a mutual, she does a little, we get it, we do a little, she gets it, it it's this growing thing. But the, the, the whole concept of the shaman, shamanic mind, the shamanic consciousness, which I see as being the ability for us to disengage from our own little universe of individuality to be able to merge with a consciousness, the entity of a, of a crow, to understand what it's like to feel to be a tree, 
that we have to be able to have that flexibility in order to come to the next level of existence, which is individuality within the midst of massive creation, but individuality that can have the empathy to feel what it's like to be everybody else. Correct. And no matter where you go or what you do, you are always there with source. It's like, um, did you ever hear that uh, uh, allegorical story from from India? Um, it's, it's used to illustrate a point <laughs> where there was this great emperor in India, and he was aware that the, there was uh, some somewhere in one of the mountains there. Everybody spoke very highly of this highly realized saint who was who was you know very advanced, a realized master. But this emperor. He just couldn't see anybody above his station in life. So he called for him and he challenged him, you know, if, if I don't like your answer, I'm going to cut off your head. If he didn't hear the answer that he wanted. So he said, so he said to the saint, okay, who is more powerful, God or me? So that's, it puts you in quite a pickle. If, you know, if I say the truth, you know, this guy is going to, is going to, have my head, if I lie, I can't lie, um, and my life is dedicated to the truth, so so he was, the saint was very, very practical. He said, well, no matter where I go, God is there. So there's no place I can go where God is not present. But His Majesty can send me away from Him, never to see me ever again. God cannot do that. Therefore, His Majesty is more powerful than God. And that satisfied the king, and he walked out of the court. <laughs> wow, I love it. I love it. <laughs> that works, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Uh, uh, there's another illustration to that. Is like, um, I, I forget the, the story. It was a, it was a story about this, butcher who gets sent down to hell by mistake so when an angel goes to see him to correct the issue the guy is looking at the angel and he's kind of surprised you know why aren't your wings burning you know we're in the middle of hell here there's flames everywhere and the angel spreads his wings full you know full span and the flames are just licking around the winds and nothing happened and he goes wherever i go i'm in the presence of the lord and if we took that to heart, you know, wherever you go, whatever you're facing, whatever you're doing, you're always in the presence of that source that you're not disconnected from. Everything takes a different meaning, doesn't it? As opposed to being alone and disconnected and helpless. <laughs> yes, and, and that's why we need to comprehend the concept of uh, namaste. Nama, na- I never Namaste. Say. Namaste. Oh, the, the break music is coming up. Alrighty, we are back. And during the break, um, Colleen said, I know that voice, can't remember his name. Big acid proponent in the 60s. Yeah, that's it. Terrence McKenna, or something like that. Now, that is, I'm so glad you put that put that up for us to play, Walt, because it probably <laughs> was him. 
sounded uh, an awful lot like him. <laughs> and his words, too. I mean, what he was saying. Mm-hmm. I haven't... God, it's been so long since I've reviewed anything that he said. Um, and I remember when I was listening to him, I thought... I kept thinking, yep, 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 yep. You know? <laughs> and um, that does bring us into an interesting... Let's say... Uh, another path in the consciousness question is what happens when people are hallucinating? What does happen? I mean, DMT, which is produced in the, in the, in the brain, is produced in plants and everything else. When you go on one of those trips, um, one guy called it the DMT town because every time he took the DMT, which is a very fast acting, massively powerful hallucination that can feel like it's lasting hours and it's lasting minutes. Um, but he felt that he was uh, always going to the same place. Now, um, having, um, being a generation, being a 60s generation, I cannot uh, say that I am not accustomed to hallucinations. <laughs> um, let me tell you, let me tell you the drug story because I think the drug story is important. And very few people outside of me and Colleen, probably, in this, of the three of us, would really tro- totally understand it. When the first time I ever saw marijuana was when I was 19. And the guy I was dating gave me this stuff. And I swear to God, I thought I'd lost my mind. I, I was totally... I made him go find his best friend because I didn't trust him, but I trusted his best friend, and I really felt I was not not where I should be. Um, the next time I saw marijuana, somebody said to me, "Somebody gave me this, and I don't know. I, I don't want to. I don't know what it is. I, I don't want to deal with it." And I'm looking, "Oh, it's that marijuana stuff." So I took all the sticks out of it and I threw away the good stuff, thinking it was the sticks you smoked. And very proudly showed this other friend of mine, hey, look at this. I got, he goes, what the hell? She said, where's the rest of it? I said, oh, it's in the basket. <laughs> so, I mean, that was my introduction to the world of drugs. Um, we also, uh, very quickly, when I went, be, that, that was all when I became a freshman in college. And very quickly, you were introduced to speed. Because, um, Everybody had it. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what well, the people, the people around me, we were all using speed and amphetamines, uh, black beauties. Uh, the one, the one that I liked the best was called, uh, triple, uh, an X, I think it was X, it was a white pill. And that turned out to just increase your heart rate. <laughs> so I don't think I was much of a, of a speed freak. Um, but, when, what was very interesting that became apparent to at least me, I don't know about others, was that if you were on speed and you were studying, you damn well better take the test on speed. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't remember what you studied. Um, the next thing that came into the equation was um, this friend of mine, she said to me, I got this really strange grass. Uh huh. She said it, it's got uh, um, uh, what the hell was it? MDA. She said it's got some kind of stuff, MDA or something in it. And uh, I said, well, let's light it up. <laughs> so myself and four other people 
took a couple of hits off of this stuff, and all of a sudden, everything turned into bizarro land. It was full of love and light and happiness, and we proceeded to leave the dormitory and to go walking on the University of Massachusetts and just dancing and doing, they were, they were doing, the, I, I don't remember, I don't look at uh, theater songs, but they knew The Wizard of Oz, I think they did them all. Uh, you know, every single song was some song they all knew, and they're all dancing, and they're dancing together. I'm dancing with them, but I don't know the songs. And it was just the most incredible stuff that I had ever even imagined at that time. You didn't have any body problems with it. It was just this head trip. And I remember, well, the, the weird thing was, was that the, uh, they had the, uh, administration building that looked like a Nazi fortress. I swear to God, it was the most militant looking building I've ever seen in my life. And, but they did have this ramp, and the ramp went for, oh, I bet 200 feet, and it was heated. On this particular night, the cold, the coldness that was in the air hit the heating of this thing and created this fog bank in this, in this ramp. And the ramp had sides to it. So you were walking down like a half-shell tunnel thing. But it was all, all this fog. And as we're standing there and thinking about it, we was, we started to, uh, imagine. Okay? Oh man, what's on the other side of that? You know, we just started playing head trip games which we had periodically been playing during this little tripping thing. And so we were looking at this thing, and we're talking about, you know, there could be demons in there, or there could be lovely things in there. And all of a sudden, these people just walked out of it and scared the crap out of us. This is like 2 o'clock in the morning or something. And scared the crap out of us. And uh, they came out, and we said, oh, oh, you're real. You're not some spooky thing. Okay. And they ended up, being on some kind of a hallucinogenic. I don't know if it was LSD, MDA, TH, I don't know what it was. But they were, too. So we spent, I don't even know how long, just, it couldn't have been that late in the night, because when we went around back towards our dormitory, it must have been early, because there wasn't anybody out. That was what was weird about part of it. Was There was also an ice cream truck that none of us had ever seen an ice cream truck before, but there it was. We had this ice cream. Um... So it must have been earlier because when we came back around, we came around where the athletic fields were, and there were people playing Frisbee. Now, every one of us started to stand there and look at these people playing Frisbee. And this is at 2 in the morning? No, no, that's what I'm saying. It had to have been earlier. It must have been earlier in the nighttime. Um, but it seemed like 2 in the morning because the campus, we'd been, we'd walked all over the campus you know, danced all over the campus, the main campus, not up to the other dormitories and stuff. But, I mean, we'd spent probably at this time at least two hours out there and hardly saw a soul. But when we came back, well, I don't even know if they were there. Maybe it was two in the morning and the field wasn't even, didn't have people in it. I don't know because all I know is that when we came around to the athletic part of it, there were these people playing Frisbee, only it was all in slow motion. And I said to the people around, I said, is this in slow motion? And they were all going, yeah, how are they doing that? Because we assumed that they were doing it, not that we were perceiving something different. You know? Um, 
Then, then the next time I ever saw a, a major drug was um, MDA, and that one was a real shocker because by then I was, um, I must have been a senior in college, and we were living in a Victorian type of house, and my housemates were came in. Well, there was two of us that were were, were at home. And the rest of them came home, and there, so there was like, they come in with all their boyfriends, so there was probably, in the end, about a dozen people in the house. And everybody except me and my friend were tripping on something that they had just been found out about called MDA, and oh my God, everybody loved everybody, and they all took their clothes off. <laughs> it was the first time and only time in my life I've ever sort of been in an orgy, except I wasn't on this stuff. So I'm like, what the hell? Me, thank God there was somebody else there that was straight. Designated and, driver. Huh? You were the designated driver? I guess. I guess. <laughs> but it was, um, it, what was amazing about it was the total absolute openness of these people. There was nothing that they would even be able to lie to you about or hesitate telling you about. It was like their, their entire lives were just open. Oh my God! I, I just want to tell everybody how much I love you, and and there wasn't really any sex. It, they were naked, but there wasn't any sex. Um, I mean, somebody might have gone off into a corner that I didn't see, but I wasn't seeing that happen. And just completely feeling at ease with each other, and um, just one of the most astounding, uh, very good feel things. I mean, these people were totally emanating love. So um, me and the, me and the friend that, that weren't on it, right? She comes to me a couple of days later and she says, "Hey, I got some of that MDA. You want to try it?" And I'm going like, "Sure." I mean, hell, that they look like they were having a hell of a good time. So we're in the university and there's a pond there, a uh, small pond, and but you know it's like a little garden thing around it and. Um, we sit down and we're sitting watching the pond and we take this stuff. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And I turned to her and I said, I, I'm not sure that you got anything. I, nothing's happening to me. And she went, no, I know. And I looked back at the pond and all of a sudden, whack, like I had been hit with, with something in my head. Everything turned into a cartoon. <laughs> everything that was was now uh fuzzy like it didn't have um didn't have angles it was i mean you could see it clear it was solid but there was some there wasn't an angular thing in anything it was all this smoothness and colors oh my god i mean the pond took on looking like a you know an ocean everything was bigger and I don't really remember anything of that beyond the initial impact of this change because I think that what we ended up doing was going under these, in this area where they had all these big uh, bushes, flowers on them, and beautiful pink flowers, and sat in there for God only knows how long because I don't have any clear recollection other than that first impact and then sitting, but I... And, and, and after that, I've had, um, I was introduced to what was supposed to be, uh, MDA again, and it turned out to be LSD. And that was, um, 
That always was a label your always label your drugs for the children. <laughs> well, LSD had a, by that time had a pretty bad rap. Um, this the the funny story about MDA is that when I got into Miami, I met this guy that um, was the bouncer of the. I, I worked as a a, a, wait, a bartender in a club, and he was the he was the 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 uh, bouncer, and. He turned out to be um, my supplier of marijuana. So I got to know him, and he starts telling me stories that were stories I had heard when I was in college about uh, one of the one of the th- people that was, oh, what was his name? Um, the professor. They called him the professor. And by the time I got into the later part of... Um, being a senior at the university, there were all sorts of versions of LSD running around. There was window plane, there was these uh, sticker things, I mean, just a whole bunch of different things. And they all had different names, and supposedly the the professor was creating these things. And um, he had this, there was a whole story about him being some scientist, and, you know, I mean, there was a whole story about it. But, you really kind of think, you know, this is all, who would know about the guy if he was really there? But this bouncer, in fact, knew him, and he was real. He was a Canadian, and he's been identified somewhere along the line. I actually got his name and actually know who he is. But he was um, a friend of the, the bouncer, and he, he uh, came up with MDA. And so... He says to the bouncer, um, here, this is how you make it, and blah, 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 gives him the recipe. And one of the ingredients in it was nitroglycerin. <laughs> so they had to be particularly careful not to hurt themselves with the nitroglycerin blowing up. But they follow it, and they make this stuff up. At the time, it wasn't illegal because nobody had ever made it before. So they go up to Jacksonville, Florida, and there's some kind of... Uh, a big old festival concert thing that's happening, and they just were hawking it on the side. Get your MDA here, here, try this new drug. <laughs> and so they sold a tremendous amount of it, but they also sold it to the police officers that were there. The police couldn't arrest them. It wasn't illegal. But the police took it back to um, the lab to try to find out what it was and essentially blew it up and, and did a lot of damage to their lab because of the nitroglycerin that was in it. So, how were people supposed to drink this, eat it, smoke it? Um, what we had was like um, they would. What, what they were doing, Walt, was they were taking these. Um, they 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 were like little um, stickers, okay, with mm-hmm. uh, very thin paper, you know, and they would drop the liquid on the on the sticker. So that was one of the problems: is that from drop to drop, you really didn't know how much of a dose of any of this you were getting. Oh, and you just you would just eat that sticker. It would kind of melt in your mouth. Oh, good yeah, right. because I'm thinking not not a very good business model to blow up your customers. No, well that's what they did. I I don't know what I mean. That's the story he told me. I have no reason to doubt that it wasn't real because he never told me a story that didn't turn out true. And like I say, he did give me the guy's name, and I was able to verify that he existed. Um, so, but what? What I'm trying to say here is that when you're on these hallucinogenic drugs, 
you actually feel like it's a different world. It's a different energy. And if you take LSD in 1960 and you take LSD in 1990, it's going to feel like the 60 trip and the 90 trip are the only reality and everything in between is zero, gone. You don't think of it. Well, you're, you're changing the frequency of the brain and you're pushing the etheric bodies sideways or front and back, whichever way. That's, that's it's the same reason why people that, uh, remember, I don't know if they still do it. Remember dentists used to oh. use laughing gas to, uh, put patients to sleep, you know, nitrous oxide. And people under nitrous oxide, they would see things like, you know, they would, like a drunk, like seeing pink elephants or something like that, is because you're literally moving the etheric body out of alignment with the physical, and you start seeing things on the other side. It's the same, not too different from uh, delirium trems, what happens when somebody has too much alcohol intoxication in the brain. They see snakes and they see bugs, because given their level of, of vibration... They're not going to see the pretty parts of the fourth dimension. They're going to see, you know, the, the negative, the low vibration parts. So they see, you know, negative things, snakes and spiders and really bad things. So essentially, when you, you're doing that, you're pushing the etheric body out of alignment with the, with the physical and you start to see. You start to see what's going on on the other side. You're actually seeing the, on the other side of the veil. The problem is that the linear mind can't, cannot uh, process that stuff under normal circumstances. That's why you have to be on the drug. Like, remember what you said? If you study for the test in, with speed, you have to take the, stat, the, the test with speed. <laughs> because exactly. you have to be in that level of vibration to be able to process the same way that you, you studied. I mean, on, under normal waking circumstances... The brain's not equipped to process that way. You, well, the, you, other, the, the other thing that happens when you're on LSD, at least it did to me, was I became totally telepathic, as did, I think, well, I don't know. I wasn't talking to other people to see if they were. Mm-hmm. But I could, I could, I remember was standing, um, it, it was another school, it was another pond, and I was on one side, and there was all these people on the other side. And I was with, with this guy that I had just met. He, he was the one that had the LSD. And um, I'm standing there with him, and I'm looking across at this crowd of people on the other side. And I, I started laughing, and he said, why are you laughing? I said, well, because of that, what you just said. And he said, how can you possibly hear what she's saying? And then I realized that I was hearing the, everything that everybody was thinking. I wasn't hearing them. I was actually telepathically being able to hear them. Mm. And so I, I stood there with, well, actually, we were sitting down by then, and I, I was telling him, I was repeating what these other people were, were saying on the other side of the pond. So I don't think that he was telepathic at that at that point. But every single time that um, I got near this stuff, I went totally telepathic. And I never had a bad trip. Um, I did have, I was with people that did have bad trips, and that made me very gun-shy. I would be very careful who I would ever trip with. Correct, because it depends on that person's level, on their level of consciousness, their level of evolution, 
what's where are they you know vibration level so then when you when you take away the veil and you're looking at the other side you're not going to look you're not going to see pretty things you're going to see monsters demons whatnot oh it's you, absolutely what's in your head you will correct. see what's in your head no doubt about that there was there was one time where <laughs> um there was like oh god I let me say two four six eight there was like eight people tripping at the same time on the best stuff I've ever ever saw uh, this stuff was absolutely amazing and when you have that much of a of a group of people that is tripping the the, the intensity of the energy that goes on at the thought level gets really really strange and what happened was that we were in a very contained place we were you know in somebody's house in a closed community not a problem and then one of the guys that was with us his wife was giving birth to a kid so we thought it was a good idea to go to the hospital and i don't even know who drove the car i don't know if they were tripping or not and we go to the hospital and when she's had the baby we see the baby i think we even left him there but when we tried to go back to this um this place that we were at it was one of these very large large communities where they had all sort everything looked the same all the buildings had built the same they had the same color there the only thing different was maybe what what vehicle was in the car and i think that we must have been lost in this community for hours because none of us would think we knew exactly how to get there and then we were wrong and it happened time and time again i mean we just kept driving so <laughs> i you mean you teleported back like the way you teleported to the hospital yeah maybe you know but um so i i would i would never be inclined to do a group thing again <laughs> not not that i would even be inclined to do it ever again because one of the things that i realized was that i didn't think we needed the drug i thought there was some way to go to that place because i felt so very very sure that that place is real that there's somehow you can get to that place without doing drugging uh taking a drug and during the 90s when we used to um meet as a group and do um just get around a fire and uh with music with drums and rattles and nobody was a one one person was a professional musician the rest of us weren't and we would just get into this music and get it very trance like i felt that we were going to the other side that there was a you know you sort of needed the drug to get the boost but it was so always so very close it was like yeah 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 always so very close so what happens to to this concept of a of a computer generated reality if you can take a drug and change everything well the mind seeks if, if anything if you've learned anything from this life is that the mind is is like a little kid it always wants to be entertained it it doesn't like sameness that's why we love and worship movies on television and, and we can't get enough of it because it keeps the mind occupied it's like you know the, the those mothers that they need to, to do things in the house and the kid is constantly calling for attention what does she do she you know puts them in front of the TV or gives them something to play with 
so that as long as his attention is busy, she'll leave her alone to do her stuff. And that's the mind for you. I mean, we just created another concept to keep us entertained, to keep us, you know, keep the wheels chugging along. Because we don't, you know, if, it, if it's too simple, it's not, it's not worthwhile, right? The more complicated it is, the more entertaining it is. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I really think that, that, well, I'm sure, well, I know that the reason that LSD ever got out there was because the military and the black ops were trying to use it. I don't know if people know this story. There was a Czechoslovakian, um, I think he was a doctor. But he was messing around with DMSO for some reason and, and accidentally ingested it and then went into what he believed was a psychotic episode. But he made the connection to the drug and then uh, very carefully started realizing that this thing was able to manipulate the brain to put it into a state of hallucinating. And that if you... He, he did it to himself. He took a number of, of trips and, and he, he knew that if you got used to living, if you got used to being in that state, you could actually um, function very, very well in that state. Um, and so that ended up becoming coming to the attention of the CIA, and they were taking, um, actually using uh, professors, uh, Leary was one of them, Tim Leary, uh, to, you know, perfect the LSD. And, of course, Tim Leary starts to, oh, my God, this stuff is wonderful. And then it gets into the colleges. So some people died over this LSD. I mean, if you go and you study um, what they did to people, not people that didn't know what they were getting into, you know, people that had no idea that they were about to be laced by acid. Uh, it's really tragic. With some ha some, because if you don't know what just happened to you, you think you went through a psychotic trip. You know? But one of the things that um, that happened to me when I was on... and, and, and Trust me, I took enough LSD that I could function very well in it. <laughs> I never had a problem. Um, the I, w I was I had this this LSD, and I was well. To be honest with you, what happened was that I came home from work, and I dropped the LSD. In other words, I took the hit of LSD, and then I fell asleep. <laughs> Um, and I, I woke up, and I'm like tripping, but I'm like, I wake up from a sound sleep to, to being tripping. And I'm looking at this concrete type of wall that was in this apartment, uh, you know, the kind that you'd have in a dormitory, but this was actually an apartment. It had a white wash to it. And uh, I, I just opened my eyes, and I'm looking directly at this wall, but the wall has got this vortex churning black cave thing happening in it. And as soon as I looked at it, I got sucked right out of my body, and I started traveling down this this tunnel. And as I'm going down the tunnel, I feel somebody else being going the opposite direction, and I felt like I went right through them. And boom, all of a sudden I stopped moving, and I'm standing in a room that is got is like 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 I'm inside a room, a building, but. I was looking out this very, like it was like, um, almost like I was on a big huge sun porch or something. And there was, I could see the ocean on the other side of it. And uh, there's something happening on the, on the horizon. There was a, 
a color like like the sun, but not the sun. Something was happening on the horizon. And then I see that there is something happening in the ocean. And it was like you see it in the distance, and it keeps getting closer and closer. And then I recognized that what was happening, it was like there was an earthquake, and the ocean was, was two uh, uh, waterfalls facing each other. And then it hit the beach, and the beach just started cracking and opening up. And then I hear this crack right over my head, and I look up, and this huge pillar that was holding up the ceiling is cracked. And I know that the ceiling is about to come down on me. And I look to my left, and there was this woman that was standing there looking at me. And she's saying, you son of a bitch. And when she said that to me, I realized that I was not, she was not seeing me. She was seeing some guy standing there. And because I, I was totally telepathic with her, I realized that he had done, he had caused this scientific terrible thing to happen. And I could tell you the story about it, but it was Atlantis. Now, what happened was that at the instant that, that the, ceiling came down and I'm being crushed I get sucked back up that cave like tunnel thing go back through him again but when I go back through him again I know who he is because I've read her I, I have a great deal of understanding of who he is and as he goes back through me I read what was in his mind and what it was in his mind was that damn they were wrong there is a future so at the moment that he's getting crushed, he somehow or another got a dispensation to see the future because what he had, they were trying to do something scientifically like CERN, all right, something like CERN. And all of the priests had told him, don't do it, don't do it. And um, there was this one crazy scientist that, I don't know that he, gave him permission to do it, but the crazy scientists did it anyway and um, caused this huge eruption of a crystal satellite system that was over the Panama Canal that caused this rift to open up into Atlantis. The, 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 at that time, there were five islands, and that was Poseidon the largest, and it just, you know, went under. But at that moment, he was allowed to be teleported into the future, into my bedroom, you know, to suddenly understand that there is a future because they were told that, um, the priest told them that if they, um, if they did this, there would be no future. It would be the end. And, so what, uh, what did he think of the Saki future? Oh, he, hey, the fact there was a future was all he knew. He had no concept of what it was. <laughs> so, um, but that happened, I'm sure, was induced with the LSD. So there's something real. Something happens when you get into that frequency, when you're in your, your brain well, system. Did you ever hear of the writer uh, Jess Stern? Yes. Well, in the, back in the early 80s, no, what, what year is this? No, in the late 70s, I was still living in Argentina. And uh, I remember I, I bought it in Spanish, obviously, the, the, the book that he wrote, uh, The Power of Alpha Thought, where he teaches uh, a simple technique 
to change the frequency in your brain from normal beta to down to alpha. And then when you're there, you do the things that you want to do, whether it's physical healings or changes or manifesting something in your life. And there's no need for for drugs. But the the thing that I got out of it, which just goes to show, you know, what powerful creators that we are, is that one of the techniques he teaches in the in the work because the book is written based on a workshop that he attended. When you go into that alpha level and you create a space for yourself, it, you, it's a laboratory, it's a room, it's a pyramid, whatever you want to do. It's a space that you go to when you're in that alpha state. Whatever you create in that room actually works as if it were made of solid matter. Like when I was in the room, I remember I made a radionics box for myself and it worked. And, and we're dealing with something that's not even physical. It's something that's on another level, another energetic level. So there you have it. You visualize something and, and you make it and then it works. And I, I, I didn't need to know how it came to be. I just needed to know that it could be. So I, I just visualized it and it was part of the laboratory that I would go to in my alpha state. And when I would use it, it would work. Well, so, that, that, yeah, that's, you don't need drugs. Well, yeah. that's the that's the concept of um, uh, the 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 human mind works at the beta frequency. When you're in that creative alpha state, it's the alpha state is a frequency. They can actually measure it. Now, there's another frequency that you see, and it's called the theta frequency. And you see that when you get to REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, the deepest sleep you see theta signals start to come out. Yeah, when you do the 15-step process, you're in theta. Okay. They also have another signal that they have picked up called the delta signal, which I think is the um, super consciousness. You know, if, if, if the beta is your 3D mind and the alpha is the state of your, your soul, your soul consciousness, your subconscious, Okay, where you can get really creative. Then when you're in the theta, you're actually working with the, the conscious mind of the soul. I mean, alright, you got the soul, alright, and then you got the conscious mind of the soul. But when you get into theta, it's the subconscious mind of the soul, it's the spirit. And so when you get into delta, you're into the subconscious of the spirit, the God force itself. That's my interpretation of the frequencies. But what I find so fascinating is, and again, it was, see, I think a lot of the information that we're talking about seems to always come between the late 70s and the late 70s because that's where it was. And then I think a lot of it got dark after that. I think they know a shitload more than they're telling us. But at that time, in Toronto University up in Canada, they were doing research into psychics. They would take the psychics and um, they would then take brain scans of them while they're being psychic. Now, the picture, the electrocephalocardiogram that they got from the the psychics was up on a monitor, or you know, probably not even a monitor. I don't even know what they had computers-wise that at that. Well, it would have been a monitor. It would have been one of those original type of things, and. This doctor was walking by and he looked at that and he said, 
why why are you what's this about that you're playing with here and they said oh we're taking brainwave brains pictures of psychics and he he said whoa and they said yeah 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 it's the same thing as you get when you in REM sleep in other words the signature of a psychic signal in the brain is the same as when somebody's in REM sleep and the doctor that had walked was walking by said no what's really creepy about this is that that's the same signal you get when somebody's on LSD so what I learned at that time was that LSD was so chemically identical to serotonin that serotonin, which is produced by the raft cells, the raft cells reach out and they go, oh my God, look at all the serotonin in the brain. We better stop making serotonin. So they stop making serotonin. And serotonin is used by the brain to control the eruption of spontaneous thought. Because if you see a blue, your computer brain should bring up every single blue that you've ever seen, which is hallucination. So serotonin controls the the amount of information that flows into the brain. But when you are, I think it all happens with the eyes, really. When you close your eyes and you start to get into a, and you don't have the stimulus, that you start to fall into the levels of sleep. When you get to REM sleep, the, the only reason you get there is because there's no serotonin in your brain. And so then you go into REM sleep and you're into the imagination and you're into the dream state and you're doing all these wonderful creative things that was so very threatening to the powers that be if we go back to our, you know, trip to the dream cities, Walt. Mm-hmm. You know, that once you're in the dream state, you can practice your imagination and you can practice it without influencing the 3D manifested reality you're living in, but you're practicing imagination. And when they took that away from us, we became really kind of dumb and docile because we, we couldn't imagine anything other than what we were seeing. But the key here is is that LSD, at least, and I don't know how far it goes into the other hallucinogenics, and this, this information does come from the 70s, so it could be obsolete, but I don't think so. And what happens is that you're actually fast asleep as far as the chemistry in your brain and wide awake. Well, that that happens to me, but by uh, like before I started doing shamanic journeys, uh, that happened to me when I was at the at uh, one of the 15-step workshops. Uh, it's so exhausting because it's three whole days, and you're sitting on that chair for like what feels like ten hours, listening to everything, and they give you pillows and mats, and you can sit on the floor or you can sit on a chair. And at one point, I was I was just reclining on the floor and I was hearing absolutely everything that they were saying but uh, uh, somebody told me after Dr. Costa was done talking that I had been snoring and I said that's strange because I was wide awake I was hearing everything they were saying and Dr. Costa said that that was absolutely normal to that and he had asked others not to bother me or say anything about it because he said that that, that was normal that, that you could be awake while the body is is in repose or something like that. So <laughs> that's two two different stages of consciousness. You know, you're you're awake while your body's asleep. I never heard of that, but I guess I had to. I, I experienced it. Well, that's really interesting. Well, the body is asleep, but the real essence of you is not. Is not. Correct. And yet you're conscious of it. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe that's the next stage because I think we all kind of do that. That's the exercise that aware of it. Yeah, that's the exercise that uh, Don Juan gave uh, Carlos in the Castaneda writings, and that uh, the um, I forget the title of the book. I know the title of the book in Spanish, but I think uh, something to do with dreaming is in the title. I think. Uh, where he taught Carlos that when he goes to sleep and he wakes up to the dream where he's aware that he's dreaming something, he told Carlos, he gave Carlos the instructions that in the dream, go back to sleep. In the dream, see yourself, you know, lying down and going to sleep. And that would put him in a totally different level. And I thought it was just kind of fanciful the first time I read that. But then it happened to me. I've had two different occasions where I'm I'm fully asleep. I'm um, I'm dreaming. I'm not in my bed. I'm somewhere else. And in the dream, I lie down and go to sleep. So it's like a multi-layered situation. So I guess it is doable because I experienced it. So what happens when you go to sleep in your dream? Uh, you go somewhere really weird. <laughs> That's not like any, any place you've ever been. Wow. Maybe maybe it was training for all the other weird dreams that I've been having. <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe. And going, wow, that's kind of like go different dimensions of it's sleep on one side of that coin or that veil, but awakeness in the other one, without yeah, having to do it through physical birth and. Death That's what you you just you just describe what uh, Andrew Barsis has said many times. He says, "I go to sleep here, I wake up someplace else." He says, "They never let me get any rest." So I guess that's a common thing. Well, have you ever seen dogs and cats? They sleep all the time. I'm sure that when they're awake, it's their dream time. Because <laughs> nobody could no. What would the, be the purpose to be asleep as long as they're asleep? Well, they just wake up to have their food, their water, a few scratches, a few pets, and exercise the body a little bit, and then they go back to sleep in their real reality. Well, sometimes <laughs> they come to annoy me. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, that's, I want food, I want petted, okay, stop now. Well, that's it. We, we, are, the, we are the programs of the cats. They, they run the program. They run the hologram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 ever since I retired and I hang out with them all day long, I'm going like, don't you people ever get up? You know? Like, <laughs> you know? And then when they do, it's like, uh, okay, can we take a run now? I want to go out. You know? And it, it, it's, it's, it's totally amazing to me. So I've, I've, yeah, I've come to that conclusion that we're just their dream time. <laughs> So we're coming to the end of the show here. It's been a, a, a strange one. Well, they're all strange. Oh, yeah, but I loved it. Did anybody push the record button? Oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it, Walt, let me look. Are you kidding? <laughs> do I know Haggy or do I know Haggy? I turned it off earlier because I was playing replays. Did one of you guys record this by any chance? No. Nope. I don't even know how. 
What? Okay, now I'm going to tell you something. Every time I've mentioned taking LSD, the thing doesn't get recorded. <laughs> well, you're going to have to start calling it something else. Seriously. I, I've mentioned it. reality, Chief. You know, they'll never have it on tape that I ever saw. <laughs> well, thank God Jean's not here. Because, you know, she'd be the one pitching a bitch. Why? The rest of you, think how lucky you were. You just heard amazing radio that is gone to the ether. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. We did it. It's there in the ether. It's I'm going to put this tail end up anyway. This what? The tail end, because I started recording when Walt said, did you remember to touch the So I got the tail end of it. That lets everybody know they missed it. Oh, my God. If they want to hear this show... They got Go to be to here live sometimes. Yeah, find yourself some LSD and say, hey, where was that show? We're going to get them to pay the $5 subscription monthly if we don't have anything to offer. Kind of silly. Well, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, Colleen. Everything's good. It was meant to be. Okay, okay. We put it into Still the ether. It's myself. up there. No, 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 no. It was not, honey. Yeah. It was not your fault. It was my mentioning LSD. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll let you take that one. <laughs> and, you know, the thing of it is, is that I actually hesitated saying it. Because you know, that's all you need is to somebody out there, oh, she takes LSD. Oh, she. <laughs> well, there's nobody that knows that except the people that are here listening to it tonight, right? <laughs> I heard that she did. Well, go find it. <laughs> and this could be fiction. We oh, have to put that disclaimer out there just Always, to, uh, yeah. just for entertainment purposes only. That's right. Yes, that's sorry. Right. All of reality is for our entertainment purpose only. Of course, we could blame it on Walt because the last time he said something about is this being recorded, it didn't, it, you lost it in the computer. <laughs> but like somebody's an, got it. I'm like an inverse <laughs> psychic. You know those psychics that tell the future? Yeah. I'm the other way around. I, I, I already know what, what... I'm already guessing what already happened, so I'm not a very useful psychic that way. <laughs> Crap. Okay. I'm asking after the after the fact. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Walt, you want to add anything here? Now no, just recording? mention our um, website. Nancy's website is CosmicReality.net. My website is NewParadigmTools.net. And our beloved producer is wallspiritradio.com, Colleen Kelly. She's sitting at the controls. Four screens, count them, four. Not recording the show. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who wants to um, make a, a step into this very uh, computer-simulated world of shamanic journeying, I highly recommend you let Walt take a journey for you. Uh, yeah, he'll ask you to give him three questions, and he will take the journey, and he will ask your guides. I have never been disappointed in any journey. Go ask him about this. And um, the things that he comes back with um, from these journeys turn into real things in the 3D so many times. So he's real. The journeys are real. Your spirit guides are real. You are real, regardless of what we might have said being a uh, computer simulation, because if you are a computer simulation, you're still real. You still can learn how to hack the system. 
to make uh, life that that is perfect and wonderful. And you don't need LSD to do it, although it is a very nice way to take a visit into the other dimensions. Um, anything else, guys? On our next show, we will teach you how to make your own at home. Make your well, own what? LSD. Indeed. I'm sure. I'm sure the formula is out there. Uh, <laughs> Especially in Granny's kitchen. Because <laughs> <laughs> it ain't gonna be in modern homes. <laughs> no, 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 no. We did live. We did grow up in a in a magical place. I mean, that time frame of the '60s and. Uh, I mean, think about it. We talk about the 50s being so uh, leave it to beaver kind of stuff. But the 60s was where all possibilities opened up. Uh, the status quo no longer was accepted. Anything was possible. And, yes, uh, they beat it out of a lot of us. They learned how to take it out of the, the system. They learned how to use mass media to... Uh, that, that, that time that you're describing coincides with the brain drain when they were building up the space for the uh, secret space program. That happened at the same time, too? Yes, it did. Yep. yep. And that's why they, they needed to turn us into cattle so that we could finance their space program. Ooh, maybe that's why they didn't ask me. They knew I was doing drugs. <laughs> well, you we're labeled a troublemaker, so no, you would not qualify I was a troublemaker. <laughs> Too many questions. Huh? Too many questions. Yep. Um, tomorrow, uh, Colleen and I are going to do Fans of Whitley, Whitley Stryber, and we play his most recent audio, and then we discuss it. And um, we're not going to do Jeremy anymore. What is that? Jeremy, well, Jeremy Vaney is, um, took over William Henry's place as a second kind of offering. And Jeremy, God bless him, is dealing with people who, our, our audience is way beyond what he's dealing with. Um, it's mostly people that, you know, have had an experience, but I don't know. We, we we never know what he's, they're talking about, so we can't we can't even discuss it. And so now, after I don't know a dozen attempts, we've decided that we're either going to play other Whitley shows because he's got quite an archive, and um, we also are going to um, do more with his um, wife Anne, who's just transitioned, but certainly hasn't left the stage because she has such a a very um, Basic way of looking at life and a profound knowledge of all possibilities that she's she's just very um, inspiring. Correct? Is that what we're going to do? I'm thinking you're right. Yeah. We just thank you all for joining us for this one-time event. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I told you. I thought things were weird out here. Uh huh. And I thought I had it down pat. You did. You did. You did nothing wrong. Um, you know, I'm I'm not at all distressed that that this is in the ethers. We did it, and that's what I try to explain to people is that it's the doing of it to put it out there into the cosmic consciousness. It's as, it's out there. It's real. It's in the Archaic record. You can go and try to find that if you want. But you know, but just remember, we love you.
We thank you so much for being here. Oh, and thanks. I, Great show, guys. Thanks. I, I love you two guys. So next week, uh, maybe Gene Rockefeller will be back with us. Um, and for crying out loud, remember to record. <laughs> uh, remind me, remind me. I'll have to remember to remind you to remind me. There we go. Well, hey, Walt, just tell us out front but instead of after the fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're putting it on you, Your timing Walt. sucks. <laughs> well, we'll do a fundraiser on the reminders thing. So. It, it would be okay. Good, Good night, night, everybody. Thanks. Good night, everyone. Appreciate it. Bye. Preaching, preaching, the unknown, unknown, unknown. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.